0: we should weep when we read that passage because it is such a wonderful hope and promise that is given to us in the book of revelation including the hope that the very longing that makes us weep when we hear that promise of all things made new um, that those tears will be wiped from our eyes the lord god himself will wipe every tear from our eyes Um, It is so great to be here this morning, um, to be back at Barney's. Um, Do you still call it Barney's? Good, okay, back at Barney's to see familiar faces and also some unfamiliar faces. Um, I was doing the sums and I worked out it's been 14 years since I was at St. Barney's, but um, this is where I was first discipled when I first became a Christian. I came to Barney's and was discipled here, was encouraged here, was supported here, um, made a lot of mistakes uh, as I tried my hand at ministry here and was, was loved and accepted and received uh, through all of that. So um, this is a, a community, a congregation that has a, a very deep place in my heart and for which I have immense gratitude to the Lord Jesus um, for the way he's blessed me and enriched my life um, through this church. So it's great to be here. Um, I am going to be uh, focusing on Psalm 46 this morning, um, which Christian read for us at, at the beginning um, of the service. And I thought I might just read it again, um, just so that we have God's word ringing in our ears um, as I uh, come to, to speak on it. So if you have your Bibles, do open them up to Psalm 46. This is a slightly different uh, version, but um, uh, you should be able to follow along. So it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Um, well, it seems as though with every new day we are given a fresh set of crises that we need to be feeling worried about. So the pandemic has been serving this purpose for a couple of years now, but as that maybe kind of begins to flow into the background a little bit for some of us, there are any number of things that come rushing into the the vacuum, the crisis vacuum uh, to take its place. Global terrorism, global warming, global Food shortages, global fuel shortages, um, the increased threat of China, challenges to religious freedom, cost of living, pesticides on your $10 lettuce, and whatever else it is that comes up on your doom-scrolling feed. And along with all of those general fears, each of us have worries that touch us more personally. might be struggles with our family, struggles with friends, bodily illness mental illness. seems there's there's an ever-growing list of things that we need to be concerned about. And if you take just a fraction of it in, it very swiftly sends you spiraling down into a tunnel of anxiety. But this morning we have this psalm before us, Psalm 46, which speaks directly into this and tells us what we need to hear in the midst of it. Not to solve all the problems, nor to make us ignore them, pretend that they're not there, but to give us a stable place from which to navigate them. Because in this psalm, the psalmist holds out side by side two things. On the one hand, he names the insecurity, the turmoil, that marks our world, the things that shake us and terrify us. But on the other, he points us to the Lord God Almighty, who is unshakable and who gives himself to us as our refuge. That's what the psalm holds together. And we see both elements in the opening verses. Verses. In verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Um, my oldest child, who will be 10 this coming Tuesday, um, he is reading a lot about roller coasters at the moment. Um, and the more he reads about roller coasters, the clearer he comes in his mind that he never, ever wants to get on a roller coaster at any point in his life. I've told him not to commit himself to that yet. When he's older, he might, he might enjoy it. I said to him, "Why is it? What's the problem? Why don't you want to go on a roller coaster?" And he said to me, "Dad, I just, I just like having my feet on the ground," which I can identify with, right? I kind of understand that. You never feel more safe than when your feet are on the ground. It's hard to imagine anything more stable, more steady, more reliable than the earth beneath our feet. But here the psalmist takes that solid, dependable thing and he says, now imagine that giving way beneath you. The thing that all of your weight is resting on. Imagine that shaking and moving, such that suddenly you can find no stable foothold. You're just at, at the mercy of this movement. That is a terrifying thing to imagine. And actually, for the original hearers, the, the picture that the psalmist is painting here is doubly terrifying. Because it's not only that the, the mountains and the earth are giving way, but also that they're falling, in verse 2, into the heart of the sea. Now, for us as people who live in WA, we love the sea. The sea's like a happy place. But if you're an ancient Israelite, the sea is not a happy place. The ancient Israelites hated the sea. To them, the sea meant chaos. It meant disorder. It was menacing and threatening. And so the psalmist is deliberately conjuring up as horrific a picture as he can the most reliable and solid thing that you can think of, being torn down by the most uncontrollable thing that you can think of, and really being decreated. And I think what's going on here, if you go back to Genesis 1, in the creation, the land comes up out of the water. But now, here, all that land is, is collapsing back down into the formless and dark deep that was there in the very beginning. That's what he wants us to imagine. But it's not really just a matter for the imagination, because this is, in fact, the way that things go in our world. Sometimes the earth literally quakes, but there are any number of things upon which we can take our stand and look to for our stable footing that we can suddenly find failing. Our health our parents or a spouse or a friend, our intellectual or physical abilities, our independence, the safety of our country or our city or our street. We rest on these things, but none of them is permanent, absolutely. None of them is unshakable. And eventually, they all move and give way. Our health saps. A relationship is broken by betrayal or by distance or by death. Our abilities falter. Our country's defenses fail. Everything, everything breaks apart in the end. It's only a matter of time. And inasmuch as our feet are planted on those things, we move and shake and give way with them. But in contrast to all of that, there's one thing that is unshakable. And that is God. He is immovable. He's not subject to the threats or the change or the disintegration. He is far above all of those things. But being far above them doesn't mean he's removed from us when we're in the midst of them because that immovable God makes himself in verse 11, uh, sorry in verse 1, our immovable refuge and strength. Come to me, he says, when all the ground is shaking. Come find shelter in my constancy. He's an ever-present help. He's not hiding away he's not difficult to find you don't have to travel far come he says and bunker down safely in me and because that's who and what god is for his people constant stable and available the psalmist says therefore in the face of the most devastating world-shattering cataclysm we will not fear We may feel vulnerable and fragile, but our refuge is not, and in him we are secure. And this perhaps poses a challenge to us of of what it is that we are looking to for our security. But this isn't primarily a word of challenge, which is being given to us in this psalm, I think. It's primarily a word of comfort. It's a word of reassurance. If the God who is the psalmist's refuge is our refuge, then in the midst of the storm, we are secure indeed. No matter what the news is telling us, no matter what might actually be befalling us in this moment, our souls are safe in him, our stronghold and not only safe. Because as the psalmist now goes on to say, if God's city is our city, then in the midst of the terrors, not just safety, but even gladness can be ours. From verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the opening of the psalm, we are outside with that destructive, tumultuous ocean smashing violently against the mountains and tearing them down. But now, in this next part of the psalm, we're brought inside, into the city of God, within its walls, and with a very different body of water, this little river which is flowing in the city. And if you were to pit these two waters against one another, there wouldn't really seem to be much of a competition And surely this stream that's quietly flowing by is no match for the forces that are ripping the world apart. Surely you'd be foolish to look to it to hold the horrors at bay. And yet, in the face of the chaos, this river is enough to replace the city's fear with gladness. So, what is this river that has the power to do that? And what is this city through which the river flows? Well, at a first impression, if you're reading the Old Testament and it speaks about a city which is the city of God where his holy dwelling place is, which city would you in the first instance think they were talking about? Jerusalem! Yeah, exactly right. You'd think Jerusalem. And yet, there is no river that flows through Jerusalem. Christian can confirm this. He's been to Jerusalem, he's about to go again. There is no river flowing through Jerusalem. So, this river must stand for something other than an actual river. And the city must stand for something other than the literal city. Just as the sea in the opening section stands for something other than the actual sea. It's just all the forces of chaos and destruction. So, what are they? What is the river and the city? Well, I think we can start to pick up what the psalmist is referring to when we remember that the whole of the Bible is bookended by depictions of God dwelling with his people by a river. So if we go to one end of the Bible, in the opening of Genesis, God has tamed and ordered the surging deep, and then he establishes a garden. And in the garden, he is present in the midst of his people, the first man and woman. And we're told that a river flows there, and it flows out of there, divides into four rivers to water and give life to the earth. So that's at one end of the Bible. Then when we zoom forward to the other end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, as we heard read for us just a few moments ago there, the Apostle John sees the new creation. He sees the new Jerusalem. And God, again, is dwelling with his people in the fullest possible way. This time, his people are a great, countless, multinational multitude. And we're told once more that a river flows there from the divine throne with life-giving water. Two bookends. God Dwelling with his people by a river. And I think that this interprets for us what's being described here in Psalm 46. What is this stream that makes glad the city? It's the river of the water of life, it is the river of the truth and power and presence and grace of the Spirit of God. And what is the city? god's people it's the church it's the jerusalem which is above as paul calls it in the galatians the jerusalem which is found in heaven yes and ultimately will be unveiled in the age to come but is also present now on earth in every place from the first day to the last where god's people meet to draw from his river and to found their lives on what is immovable. From a congregation meeting in West Leaderville to another gathering under a tree in rural Uganda to just a couple of believers who are meeting behind locked doors in Central Asia. There, God is unfailingly present to strengthen and stabilize his city. God is within her, it says in verse five, in the midst of that assembly, and so she will not fall. The mountains might fall, verse two, but the city where God dwells, where his stream flows and gladdens will never fall. And again, in the present time it can it can seem so weak and fragile. When you look around it at any given church on a Sunday doesn't necessarily look outwardly impressive. It's just a gathering of people. And yet we're told God is in our midst. This is where we find him as he comes to us in the gospel of his son, as he comes to us in the means of grace, as he meets us where he has promised and pledged to meet us in his word in his sacraments and Christ gives the water which quenches all thirst and which we drink by faith to eternal life God is present in his congregation and that means it is a city that cannot be moved I will build my church said the Lord Jesus, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. That is security. That is security. And it is an amazingly wonderful reality for those who have come to the refuge. But that doesn't mean it always feels like it. The fact that we are secure doesn't mean we always feel secure. And actually, do you know that the disparity between the way things feel and the way things actually are is something that the book of Psalms itself is, is really quite open about. So if you go back a couple of Psalms from Psalm 46, you come to Psalm 42. It's a very different Psalm. It is one of the most emotionally dark One of the most raw psalms in the whole Psalter. And there, the psalmist who belongs to the city, right? He belongs to God. He belongs to the people of God. He says, as far as I can tell, the river has dried up. So I I am like a deer that is panting for waters that, that I just cannot find anywhere. It is salt pans as far as the eye can see. And the waves, the the chaos of of the sea, he says, they are just crashing over my head. Wave after wave after wave keeps on smacking me down. And it is like that sometimes. Turning to God, coming to his city, it doesn't mean suddenly that nothing goes wrong and you always feel great. It doesn't mean that the church just goes on triumphantly from victory to victory. Far from it. And so how do we line that up with this? Do those experiences, the Psalm 42 experiences, do they mean that the promises of of Psalm 46 are at best limited and naive, or at worst, false? That God says he's with us, he says he's ever-present, but actually he kind of comes and goes. Well, there are a couple of things to say about that. Firstly, the psalmist says that God is an ever-present help. He's in our midst. But he also says, interestingly, in verse 5, God will help her at break of day. Will help. God is present as our help. He's also coming as our help. Help is here and help is on its way. There's a, as we sometimes say, there's a now but not yet which is embedded within this psalm. And sometimes the help seems more not yet, more on its way than here and now. And that means that there can be some waiting involved. But we can know, secondly, that that final break of day, the ultimate morning of our help, will come when God will finally redeem his people from all strife. Because it's to that great future that the psalmist directs our eyes in the final section from verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, in this translation, the NIV, verses 8 and 9, puts it in past and present tenses. It says, see what the Lord has done, and it says that he makes wars to cease. But the psalm is actually talking about the future. It's looking ahead to a future day, the coming day of God's exaltation. And there are two elements here that we can see to this exaltation. The first, and the one which I guess is probably the most immediately noticeable, is judgment. As God confronts the raging nations, he doesn't invite them to sit down to a conversation and gently request that they might like to lay down their arms. No, what we see is desolation. A forced removal of the weapons of war. He will break the bow. He will shatter the spear. He will burn the shields with fire and the enemies will disintegrate. Now, a critical thing to notice in all of this is that it is specifically not God's people who do the fighting. They don't fight. They don't have to defend themselves. They don't take judgment or vengeance into their own hands. No, they entrust it to God, to the one who judges justly. But judge he will to the end that his world might be restored. And no rebel power that continues to resist him or that continues to attack his people will stand on that day. Now, many people in our time and place feel uncomfortable with the the clarity with which the Bible speaks about God's coming judgment of God. In the words of this Psalm, bringing desolations upon the earth. It's it's very clear confronting language uh, that comes to us in this psalm. So many people feel uncomfortable with it, Perhaps we have a sense of that ourselves. Perhaps we, we read this and we see, wow, well, it's very violent language uh, which is being used here. And if that's the case, we should ask ourselves whether we would prefer God to leave the brutality, to leave the earth-shaking cruelty unchecked, or we'd prefer him to deal with it. The Bible says he absolutely will deal with it. And there is no end of evil without God's judgment. That's how God will put things right. And yet, Scripture also tells us, doesn't it, that God takes no delight in the death of a sinner, but rather that the sinner would turn and live. And that's why now, before that time, God says the words of verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, this verse, very well-known verse, songs that we sing uh, that use this verse, um, but it's actually a verse that when we encounter it, it's often taken out of context And as a result, we misunderstand what's actually going on here. Usually, be still and know that I am God. We hear this as a word of peace, which God is speaking to his kind of harassed people. But he's saying, be still, stop fretting, don't worry, calm down. Remember that I'm God and trust me. And that is certainly a good thing for us to hear. And the Bible does speak that way in other places. But here, when God says, be still and know that I'm God, he's not actually comforting his people. He's not even speaking to his people here. He is speaking to the nations, and he is speaking a rebuke. This is a severe telling off to the antagonistic forces that are rising up against him and against his people. It's not, be still. It's, be still. Back off. Back down. Submit. Acknowledge that God is God. Do it now. Because though you resist him, he will be exalted among the nations in salvation or in judgment. And on that day, you can only be in one of two places. You can be in the city with the God who fights for you or you can be Outside the city Facing the God who will fight against you He will be your refuge Or he will be your desolator So nations People Be still Come to him now Take refuge in him Recognize God as God And yield So that you might never fall This is the call that God issues to the world This is the call that animates the proclamation of the gospel this is the call that that animates the mission of the church as she goes forth to the nations to say turn to the lord the nations that are raging against him and raging against his messiah as psalm 2 puts it and says submit don't oppose him come to him now so that you might know him as your refuge be still lay down the arms repent And to those who respond to that call, which God in his mercy issues now, before it's too late, before the day of judgment comes, to those who respond to it now, they receive the promise of the second element in this section, which is not the promise of judgment, but the promise of tranquility and peace. The peace that God will bring to his world by means of that judgment. The previous section speaks about God's peace and presence within the city walls. These verses now look forward to that peace and presence finally stretching out to all the ends of the earth, God bringing wars to cease, doing away with the instruments of violence forever. And so God doesn't intend just to protect his congregation from the churning threats, keeping them all huddled together inside while the danger is outside. No, He intends to put a stop to the churning itself. Again, in the imagery of the book of Revelation, as we heard, the gates of the city, far from keeping God's people in under siege, those gates will never be shut. There'll be no need. Because on that day, aggression and instability and conflict and pain and injustice will be things of the past. God will have finally brought the world that our hearts are longing for. And so in that hope, the people respond with rejoicing in verses 7 and 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I just want to finish by noticing those two words there, with us. Because when we open up the first page of the New Testament, we're told of a child, a son born of a virgin, born through the Holy Spirit, who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty and the God of Jacob, the God of invincible power and incomparable grace, becomes our refuge. And as Jesus carries out his ministry, as we read of it in the Gospels, we see him taking on and conquering all of those things that destabilize and threaten us. He conquers sickness. He conquers spiritual darkness. He conquers sin and guilt. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He says, be still. And they are still. Until the day when it seems that he himself is conquered. The Lord Jesus himself suffers and dies. The threatening, raging, quaking powers shake him. The nations come against him, Jew and Gentile. They shake him to the core as he fights for us and seems to lose. As he cries out, I thirst. I'm panting for the waters. When he's crucified outside the walls of the holy city. And it is a picture of weakness and fragility and pathetic failure. As he hangs on the cross with all those forces arrayed against him, it is like a little stream compared to a surging ocean and surely it would be foolish to seek refuge in one who is so weak but having been crucified in weakness he is raised from the dead by God's power and is exalted over evil and sin and Satan and so Jesus is enthroned over all that menaces his city over every authority and force that threatens to smash the mountains into the sea. He's over them all. He is exalted for us. And he promises to be ever-present with us, even to the end of the age. We may still feel the earth give way and the mountains fall. But we need not fear. God in Christ is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And he will protect and preserve all those who come to him until every shaking power is disarmed. And the day, the new day, the new dawn of the heavenly Jerusalem breaks upon us at last in glory. Let's pray. Lord, our God, every day we hear many voices announcing to us a new shaking, a new crisis, something that makes us afraid, something that unsettles us, makes us anxious. We pray over all of those voices, let us hear your voice, that you are our refuge and strength and a very present help in time of trouble. Lift our hearts by faith, we pray, to the Lord Jesus, who endured the shaking, but who is now exalted for us and who has promised to preserve and build and defend his church, built as it is upon his eternal throne. We pray that you would move us to bring the fears and the anxieties to you, to cast our burdens upon the Lord Jesus, knowing that he cares for us. We pray that uh, you would reassure us that victory belongs to the Lord and that though we are weak and fragile, in him we are strong. And we pray that you would hasten the day when the Lord Jesus appears in majesty, when this world is set right at last, when true justice comes along with the fulfillment of your merciful purposes for your people and we pray that we would keep our hearts and our eyes looking to that day and that we would live for it and be made firm and steadfast in the sure and certain hope uh, that you have given to us in it and in your son and we pray this in his strong name Amen.